Are we good? Check, check. Is that good? We up here. We good to go. Are you recording right now? Because maybe this would be a good uh, good opening. Bibbidi, bibbidi, bibbidi beats. You need to practice because you've been beats. off air. <laughs> I haven't worked radio in so long. I'm out of <laughs> out of practice. But what if I want to look back at you, Cam? I need to. No. No. Okay. No. No. Looking right. at Cam. The mirror cat you can see in, a, in your peripheral. This is you're just standing there. I need you go on the other side of the glass. <laughs> Should we get going? Let's do it. This is the Canucks Pod with Safiar Shah and Alex All. Finally here. Welcome to the show. It is the first ever episode of the Canucks Pod. With myself, Satyar Shaw, and Alex J. All reunited again in a studio. I, I know you've joined me to do a hit before, but this is kind of like, you know, when you haven't hung out in a while and you hang out together and it's kind of like we haven't missed a beat. That's no, what it feels like. It, it feels so good. <laughs> I, but I do like joining over the phone. Do you? Why no is that? eye contact. I can do other things. I can check email. And, oh, still, wait, I do that anyway. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, come on. That's nothing really new. But it is... I didn't think this was ever going to happen, to be honest. Well, considering we, we, we announced we, this like a month we ago. 16 months ago, we made this <laughs> announcement, and now here it is. We're finally doing it. Should we peel back the curtain and say why it took this long, or should we leave that? Um, no. The meerkat is no. shaking his head. No. <laughs> we can't see him, but I can notice it through my peripheral vision. We cannot reveal why it took so long, but we're here to do a podcast about the Vancouver Canucks, who are actually good, Aldi. Uh, you picked quite the time to step away from doing the game broadcast because they've been far more entertaining than the past couple of years. Yeah, well, the schedule was a lot for yeah, me, and, and then I, I could see playoffs in my future. And <laughs> I was like, like <laughs> you know what? I like my springtime. No, in all seriousness, this is this is a exciting team to watch right mm-hmm. now. It's a lot of fun, and I know you're following them uh, very closely at every game. But it is, it's so cool to see this sort of, I guess, plan that they've had in place here come to fruition now. And, and hey, I'm not putting the cart before the horse. I know they're, you know, to say they're, are they guaranteed to make the playoffs? No, but they are playing some entertaining hockey. They're doing a lot of really good things. They're playing a good style of hockey that I think is sustainable long-term and, and is something that can be viable over not just the next 10, 15 games, but the rest of the season and into the future. And I know your area of, of expertise is goaltending. And last year... The Canucks pretty much punched above their weight class for a large degree because Pedersen got off to a great start. Besser was good when he got healthy. But more than anything, it was Jacob Marks from figuring things out through Christmas and throughout the rest of the season. And then he kind of became one of the top goalies in the league for last season. Yeah, they're getting good goaltending this year, but it's so much more than just getting good goaltending. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, Marks, what was it, December, essentially? Yeah. Um, especially when the calendar turned into 2019, Markstrom was absolutely lights out. He was very dominant. Very, very fewer, few poor games, let alone bad goals. Like, and that was something that had plagued them for a while. That even in a good game, he'd have one goal you'd, you'd look at, and you're like, man, like that's a stinker. And all of a sudden, he threw a lot of work behind the scenes with goaltending coach Ian Clark. And really, over, over the past few years, he's really built his game. And now things have got a lot more simplified for Markstrom. And, and he's playing very well. But you're absolutely right. The goaltending hasn't had to steal game after game after game because they are scoring at such a phenomenal clip. And they're defending better. They're playing a lot better style. And I, I mentioned that right off the top. It's something that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. The offense, I think, is, is something that you... I, I wasn't expecting this much offense. And early in the season, like things happen in the game, in the league. Uh, you often see the, these scoring trends. They kind of stabilize. 
but the amount of offense that the Canucks are getting, this is it's pretty fun, and it makes the games extremely entertaining. It not only is entertaining, there's a different sense of belief, not from just the players. And I want to get into that, really, that mindset when things change all of a sudden. Because you've been in locker rooms and all of a sudden people realize, hey, we got a chance of doing something special. But the vibe at the rink as well. Fans are buying into a large degree because not only is it exciting, not only is it fun, there is actual results at the end of the day. And if you start looking at the process, and we spent so much time in the past couple of years already talking about process. And one of the reasons we kind of said, as much as we see some positives, you know, but at the end of the day, this isn't a playoff team because the process still has to improve. They're not outchancing the opposition. They're not outshooting the opposition. They're not creating more for as opposed to what they're giving up against. This year, every single important stat or metric or variable you want to look at to gauge what this team's doing outside of the eye test by watching it yourself is very positive. And to me, that's the most encouraging aspect of what we've seen so far. Uh, I would agree with that. It's it's not just any one thing. It's like you said, it's not just goaltending on a really hot two or three week stretch. It is they're getting buy-in from everyone. They're getting contributions throughout throughout or right throughout their lineup. They're getting goals from whether it's the blue line whether it's the the first line or the fourth line, it, mm-hmm. everyone is contributing in some way, and and there's been as much as the offense is still driven by the top guys. Every night there's sort of been a different story. Somebody who stepped up in a big moment, scored a big goal, or or done something to really contribute. And you're absolutely right from a when from a statistical point of view, you watch the team; they are doing a lot of good things over and over again, and they're repeatable. And I think that that is. When you look at it from a coach's point of view or a player's point of view, you want to build that process. And when the process is strong, the process is something that, it, again, it, it's you can buy into it, you can believe in it, and you know that the next night you can do it again. It's not like there, there are some times as an athlete, as much as you believe in yourself, you have an unbelievable effort. You're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that again. Right. Like, but the way the Canucks are playing, there's there's a lot of buy-in into, hey, we can do this time and time again. And it isn't just, oh, we can do it because uh, Pedersen's great and he's improved. It's we can do it because every single shift over the boards, we're coming at the other, the other team in waves and we're wearing them down and we're outchancing them night after night. And you hear that from the opposing coaches. So the other night when the Canucks beat the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube postgame couldn't stop talking about how good the Canucks are. They come at you in waves. They play a really good team game. They don't give up a lot. They generate lots of chances. They have all five players on the ice joining the rush, and he really went into depth on how the defensemen are active and also Quinn Hughes. And, you know, we kind of knew that Quinn Hughes has this uber-high potential, but then all of a sudden you add a player who is so elusive with the puck, who thinks the game's completely different than, differently than your traditional D-man does. You add Tyler Myers to the back end, a bit more health from guys like Alex Edler, all of a sudden, that engine in the back end changes the entire dynamic of this team. Well, it does. And, and what also happens is the guys who've, who've been here a couple of years, you mentioned Edler, Tanev, Stetcher, those guys get either slotted more appropriately or their utilization is more appropriate to their age, their skill set, whatever it may be. And to be honest, I I like Troy Stetcher a lot as a player. I, I think he's fantastic, but I would rather have him on my third pair than my second pair because that means I've got that many better defensemen ahead of him or, mm-hmm. or and the way the balance is you don't have to overuse Edler in every single situation like we saw the last couple of years which essentially ends up being overuse and and there's those injuries happen and same with Tanev he isn't always your only option on as a shutdown guy you have other players who can be first over the boards on the penalty kill or you don't have to overextend those guys in all those situations so even without the the ultra high-end skill of Quinn Hughes 
in the mix. You you have more balance to the back end. And then it's the X factor. I Look, I was at the draft in Dallas. We were all there together. When they picked Quinn Hughes, I, I didn't know how good he would be. All the talk, it was exciting. You'd seen him a little bit. Even with what we got to know and, and learn about him last season, I am still shocked at how quickly he has adjusted and just fit right in and not just fit in like he's a member of the team, shown that he's special. And I think that that is truly, it's a unique thing for a young player to be able to step in and bring that much so soon, so early in your career. Because really, like I think a lot of people would have been thrilled if he just would have been, okay, you can play him every night, mm-hmm. you, can, you can play him 15 minutes, you can you can sort of uh, protect him a little bit, but he's he's showing progress. Instead, it's like, no, he's the guy we want on the ice in all these key situations, except maybe on the penalty kill. And and that's great because you've got other guys who can do that job. And so this is going to save him for this. And the power play has just really taken off since he joined the first unit. Um, his play five on five, like his skating, there's things he does on his edges that I, I don't think I've ever seen mm-hmm. players do. And that that's really special. It's truly unique. And so he brings a whole nother element to the back end in terms of the transition game, their breakouts. He's phenomenal to watch. How surprising is it that a rookie is making this impact considering, let's go back to 2015, Carter McDavid goes first overall, different level player, but over the past half decade, even longer, it seems like 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds come into the league and aren't just acquitting themselves well as rookies, they're grabbing the league by the neck. You saw Austin Matthews light the league up. You see Patrick Linen do his thing. Elias Patterson, it was draft plus one, but last year he was sensational. So should we be surprised? Miro Heiskanen, Rasmus Dahlin, how surprised should we be that we see these guys, 18, 19, 20, make essentially elite impact right away? Well, you're right. So because now we're seeing this perennially with these guys, like guys are stepping in and they're doing it over and over again, it's now become sort of the expectation, right? But you still got to guard against it because everybody everybody develops at their own pace. But I, I just, I'm surprised in a way because Quinn Hughes wasn't considered that generational type talent. Mm. A lot of those guys you mentioned were, even yeah. though they're all the same generation and they're all drafted year after year. <laughs> but, you know, like there's something different about first overall. Uh, even Rasmus Dahlin, his year, it was, okay, you expect a little bit more from that number one pick who's just consensus across the board, the best player in the draft. But you look at what Quinn Hughes has done and it's, it's, it is somewhat surprising, I think for a, a young defenseman who's, who's small and, and slight and isn't, isn't physically dominant to be able to understand the game, read the flow of it, read when to jump, when to be involved. And I get it. He's a phenomenal skater, but his, his hockey sense is off the charts. He's got really high level IQ, great hands. And, but it's it's the skating and it's the thinking and that's such an important factor. But at the same time, you say, okay, like he's new, so mm-hmm. there's such a steep learning curve to come in from uh, from national team programs and from from college hockey. That's a big jump, and he's been able to do it not just seamlessly, but he's been able to almost get better and have more of an impact. And, and the one thing I will say about defensemen, though, you appreciate more of what they do when you watch them all the time. So if they're in your market. You, you really take notice because it's it is about the points for sure but it's less about the points as an offensive like an offensive forward point production goals that jumps off the page jumps off the stat sheet a lot of the things Quinn Hughes does it's just you you're watching and you see him on the screen and even even when the other team's coming at him and he's absorbing the rush the way he pivots to backwards and all these things I mean, it's it's very unique it's very special and I'm just like want to find out you know 
how did this guy learn all this stuff? Like, what, what is it? And, and obviously there's some genetics to it with, with uh, brother going first overall the next year and, and other players coming, but there's something really unique about the way he skates. And that just fascinates me as well to, to try and dig in deeper into that. Last year when Elias Pettersson showed up as a rookie, the veteran players knew what they had. They're like, wow, all of a sudden we have a superstar in our midst. And it was exciting for those players to show up to the rink and see what Pedersen does. And then you see a guy like Chris Tanev who seems rejuvenated playing alongside Quinn Hughes. And he talked about how much fun it is and how he can play his style now that he couldn't play in the past. And yes, that was my computer. I should have put it on mute. My bad. Man, that's so do we, rookie do we, move. Do I'm we, the guy um, who's been out of, out of radio for months and I've got everything on silent. Well, I know, but you don't have your laptop. You, our company took the laptop away from you. I never got one. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as far as Quinn Hughes and that excitement around the team, we talked about this so much. You can't fool players. Players know when they got something going on. And Quinn Hughes all of a sudden changes things. But it's that sense of belief around this team, which I kind of noticed right away in training camp. And, you know, I've been covering training camp for a few years. And every time I go, you hear the positives like, hey, you know, this team is decent. I think we can surprise people. But that's what you say, but you may not believe it. There seemed to be a different sense of belief. And then when you start seeing these guys play on the ice, how they're together, how they're they're buying into that system, how they're coming at teams in waves, and how they're so dedicated to one another, what is that mentality like when the locker room kind of knows and they look around each other and they know before anybody else does that you might have a special team or at least a team that's going to be better than expected? Well, it's a lot of fun. And winning is contagious. That that feeling, there's nothing better in in professional sports really when you're in that competitive environment it is about winning and when you're winning quite regularly and you're winning with in in special ways with special players that is extremely exciting and that's why there that belief grows because you you see how skilled some of these guys are and and it's it's fun too because it's like the when the young guys are doing it the young guys are coming up together it's their team it's like the the torch has been passed on with with Bo Horvat wearing the C now and it's it is really about the future, and that that's not just from a marketing point of view with the Canucks in, in their slogan this year, but it is very much about who the core of the team is. And there is, like, I don't, I don't know if people really sit back and think about how much newness there is in the locker room. Like, I, I was thinking about it, and from the, from the Sedin's last game, right, so you think of when they retired, there is so many new players on the roster now mm-hmm. and and that isn't that long ago like you really think about it you know in the last just over a year um from a hockey point of view and really so 16 months it is like almost complete changeover you've got 12 or 13 new players on the roster because you think about the fact that Pedersen's come into the mix you think about the free agent signings that year Beagle uh, Roussel, Schaller, who has has found his way now in a, in a really nice role in that fourth line. Then you think about the guys in season they added last year, Levo and Pearson and guys like that. And then obviously this past off season with uh, Myers, Ben, Furland, and of course JT Miller. And oh yeah, Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko's. Yeah. In, like there's almost everybody's new. So that excitement is like, we're all doing this together. We're all part of this. We're all new. It's It's a lot of fun. And you can you can run the risk of it sort of being a, a bit of a honeymoon period, but at the same time, there is there's a lot of sustainable things there, and and so much of it is based on all of that skill that you 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 see this plan coming together, and guys are it's easy to buy in when you're doing well. 
the big thing now though is is how do you if things get tough what happens yeah. and, and how do you manage that because there will be adversity so you've got to you've got to get through that at some point and most coaches want that they, they invite that challenge they hate it in the moment but long term they like it but you want to ride this wave as long as you can because it further instills the belief it, it just solidifies it in everyone's hearts and minds that this is the way we need to play to be successful. And when you're having success, like you said, it's so much easier to buy in. And one of the things we talked about last year, and it was a great point you made about the Colorado Avalanche and how they were kind of known as an overnight sensation. One year, look at the turnaround they made. Yep. But it was so many years in the making to get to that point. It just seemed like it turned around overnight. Well, from the outside, right? Yep. So just like I talked about with defensemen, oftentimes defensemen develop uh, when you're not in the market, they develop and you don't realize how well they're doing. Mm-hmm. When you're watching them every day, you see the slow build and the slow burn. A rebuild is very much that. So Canucks fans have, have been, it's been, it's been tough. I mean, it's been a really tough stretch of, of, of years here uh, without playoffs. Even even the last time they were in the playoffs, I mean, you, you kind of knew it was the end of, of that era. Um, even if they could, if they would have beaten the Flames that year, it probably wasn't going to go anywhere. But now you can see that belief. You can see that hope. It's not like they've mortgaged the future to have sort of this one shot at things. It's it's really being driven by the young guys. So there's a there's a lot going on there, and it has been a slow build. And as much as as the the management group has been been, I almost don't even want to say celebrated because I know a lot of people have picked them apart. But the, for the years, the positive things were oh they draft well, right. they've had good success, and and really like I'm and again. I'm not putting the cart before the horse with Quinn Hughes, but he has potential if if he stays healthy, that he could be another Calder nominee. Three in a row for one team. That is that's unheard that's of. Unheard of. Exactly. So you've got that super high end skill coming in through the draft, especially in those years. But now you start looking at some of the the uh, pro scouting and the mm-hmm. choices they're making and who they're bringing in and fitting a style of play and and. You know, you mentioned uh, Craig Brube, what he said the other night from from the Blues about how hard they are to play against is the Canucks. It's, and then I I heard a clip from Travis Green that same night talking about the Blues. Now they're hard to play against, heavy team. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, the Canucks are that. They're a heavy team. They're a team that's hard to play against, and that is what Travis Green has been craving since the day he got here. Because back then, remember, like L.A. and Anaheim, those were those were teams, the big bad Pacific Division. You looked at those clubs, and and they were they grind on you, and they had the big forwards, and they could execute. And yeah, they weren't what they were in their sort of glory days, but they still were dangerous. Travis Green, you could tell he wanted it. They've they've built player or they've brought players in. They've built their organization to to be that. And that's also where there's buy-in because the coach can fully believe in what he's selling now too because he's got the personnel. It's not like this is what I want to be doing as a coach, but my personnel doesn't do it, so i got to tweak it. We saw some changes midstream last season, and it was about survival. It was about trying to stay competitive, and, and you get that from a coach's point of view. But now there's real like sort of holistic alignment right through the organization, and it's, it's something that really is – Everyone's on the same page. The coach believes in the roster he has, and I'm no doubt he still wants to tweak it, still wants additions, still wants some changes. But guys, the personnel fit the style of play that Travis Green wants to play. So that helps a lot too. Travis took a lot of heat last year for a number of things, especially talking about winning the right way, playing the right way. You got to battle. You got to get your feet moving. You have to win those board battles. You have to be good in support. And for a team that's kind of rebuilding and scuffling, people are like, just let the kids go out there and play and figure out how to play in the National Hockey League. Like Nikolai Goldobin, Jake Vertanen. Why is Travis not playing these guys more? He should just let them live with mistakes and figure it out. 
Well, now all of a sudden, when you add JT Miller, you add players that can play the right way, and that system is coming together. Those players he was asking more of are fitting into the system. Even Brock Besser defensively has improved this season. You know how many times I've noticed him in the defensive zone, breaking up a cycle, winning board battles, digging in to get pucks out? That's something that he had to work to get How towards. Many? A lot. I oh, can't even come up with this. I don't have the okay. number, but like I you had the, it written on your laptop. There. Usually, I do have yeah. spreadsheets, but not on not on those ones for Brock Besser's board battles and breaking up cycles. But it's anecdotal based on <laughs> things that I've he seen. Did. Yeah. It's like okay. Uh, I got another tab for that over here. Okay. <laughs> you know, what? if I wasn't uh, hosting the intermissions and the post game, I may have more time to do those things. My spreadsheets last year were far more. <laughs> He's overworked. Full of stuff. Okay, overworked. <laughs> no, it's just uh, not enough time to do the spreadsheets, but. It's more about now you kind of see the plan. You see the development arc, which Travis was harping at, which in the moment for a team that's losing, you're like, whatever, Travis, you're not in the playoffs anyways. But now those lessons, now they're coming through. Well, it's, look, I, I hear you. Like a lot of people were, were crying, just let the kids play, let them go up. But it, players are creatures of habit and you can't let the habit be formed wrong or else you'll never get, it's an endless cycle. Of perpetual losing and that's the risk you run of being a bad team right and and trying to get out of it you can't just yes you've got to you live with some mistakes but you have to consistently be showing the players especially the young players what it is that you want and and you have to have the standard you have to have that that mark there in terms of what we're trying to accomplish and so that's why i totally get it and because you, you, if you have these young players get away with too much, and if you, if you don't continue to harp on them and keep your finger on, on the button, like every player has sort of, there's a different amount of pressure you have to apply. And if you, if you aren't on top of that and don't gauge that properly with today's player, you lose them and they're gone. And they're such valuable assets for the organization, especially some of the high picks. You, you have to make sure you get that right. And I, I get it from Travis Green's point of view about why he wanted to continue to harp on that because now it's like you can see that the light bulb's going, oh, that's why. And and I see a more simplified game from Jake Vertanen. And it's a lot of it too, though, is is because there's buy-in throughout the lineup. So when I chip this puck in and I skate as hard as I can and I bust my butt and I'm in on the forecheck and I'm the first guy there, I know the next guy's going to be there. And I know the next guy's in position and the guy after that and the guy after that. Those layers have to be there or else you feel like it's pointless what you're doing. So you now you, they're getting rewarded for playing the right way, not just in, in goals and assists and, and points and ice time, but also in, in the points and the standings, which go a long way again in in solidifying in the players' minds that what the coach is, is preaching is correct, but also in, in just how much fun it is to come to the rank. And, and sometimes the difference in, in some of these tight games between a win and a loss can definitely be luck, but it can also just be the like how much fun you're having, how much added the attitude in the room, how positive you are, and, and just whether you're willing mm-hmm. to give that extra. So if if you really feel like everyone is doing that right through the lineup, then it, of, of course I'm going to do it because I know this guy is he's going to bring it when he's on the, the ice. So I've got it too. And it's also bringing in players from winning pedigrees that aren't burdened by failures of the past, like JT Miller, his positive attitude. Tyler Myers' positive attitude. And we hear this stuff all the time about guys who are good in the room. And, I, and I've always maintained it's good to be good in the room. But if you're not a good, ho- good hockey player, it doesn't really matter to that that big of a degree. Now, all of a sudden, JT Miller has been absolutely fantastic. He's brought a different vibe to the locker room. Tyler Myers has been a positive influence. And he's played like a legitimate top three defenseman on a team. That's how good Tyler Myers has been. When you add those players with that type of attitude, but also that type of ability... 
how much of an impact can guys like that have who haven't been burdened by failures in the past and, and knowing that things can be positive because they've gone through positives on good teams? Well, it's, it's, so it's a fresh start for these guys, right? So they've, I, I wouldn't completely agree that they haven't been burdened by failures of the past because they've all had failures other places, sure. but it's the fresh start. So it's, right. it's sort of the Canucks. Fail. They, don't, they don't know the, uh, the issues in the market. They don't know the, the sort of folklore of, of Canucks failure and all of those things that once you're here a while, they kind of can haunt you a bit. And, it, and, it's, and they build and, and, it, and it, is a, it adds to the internal pressure. So you get these new voices, these new players, and um, the fact that they are – so, what again, I'll challenge you on this. You, you mentioned – and I, I get what you're saying about the player has to be good. But on the flip side of that, if the player is really good but he's not a good person and not a good teammate, that can create mm-hmm. so many issues because you you always – you have all these different standards within the locker room in terms of what the coach will accept from different players. The high-end offensive guys, they get away with a little bit more. That's fine because it's all about risk versus reward – what does this guy give us? I'm going to put up with a turnover because he's creating so many offensive opportunities by being creative like that. But if that guy's also a jerk, it just pisses everyone off. And and you don't have as a player, you don't have the tolerance. So if JT Miller came in here and was a guy that no one liked and was out there, even if he was producing, mm-hmm. if you know, it maybe doesn't work. And I'm not saying JT Miller is a guy who's always trying to dangle and toe drag. Like it's, but the the point is, is that you've it goes hand in hand, and that's it's so important. You you look for good people. That is so important when you're drafting and when you're when you're pro scouting, uh, when you're bringing guys in. And these guys have fit in really well. And and Miller is somebody who is who is it's fascinating to me that he, again, I, I mean, I wasn't watching Tampa that closely. They weren't a team that intrigued me last year because they were almost so much better than everyone else. I'm like, okay, like you knew on any given night they were going to win the game uh, during the regular season. I wasn't tuning in to them because they weren't playing the Canucks often, so it wasn't about work prep for me personally. And so he's kind of been lost to me. I did not know he was as good as he is. And he's come here, and he is. it's like he's wanting to prove people wrong. He's wanting to show that he should have been playing higher up in the lineup in Tampa, which is extremely difficult to do. His work rate is impressive. His back check, the way he continues to hound the puck. Um, so he's that right type of skilled player because he also plays with grit. He plays with edge. And he's he's a big, heavy guy who plays with that energy that Travis Green likes. And he's so, I don't even want to say he's a complimentary player to Pedersen and, and Besser or whoever he's going to end up playing with long term. It looks like it would probably be them. Because he's also a driver of play. So mm-hmm. complimentary is usually secondary. But he complements those guys so well because – he has the skill to handle what they can do, but he also is is brings some other components to the game, which is which fascinating, and it's a lot of fun to watch. I don't disagree that character is important, hugely important. The only thing is, it makes a bigger impact when your best players have yes. that character. Yes. So, and and I'm and listen, I like Jay Beagle, and I have so much time for Jay Beagle because he's a great guy in the room, and you're seeing his value so much more this season. Not only on the PK, the faceoffs, his defensive play, his board, he doesn't lose board battles. It's insane to watch this guy on board battles. He does not lose board battles, it seems, but he can't make the same impact of a guy like Tyler Myers and JT Miller because they're playing those huge minutes and they're right. producing at a higher level. And then when those guys who are your big producers are good dudes that lead the right way, that impact to me on the outside looking in seems to resonate more. I, I agree with that. And 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 then also when you if you go back to a guy like Beagle, what he does matters more yeah. because it that one or two things he does a game or like that one big block or whatever it may be, it matters more because 
they're in a better position. They're not down by three goals, so well, who cares? Like you lay down and block the puck or the shot with your face. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. Rather than it being amazing, it almost seems stupid. Like what right. was the point, right? But now it's like the, everyone's doing it. So I agree. And and the the big minute guys who are and they, and they both play in all situations. Miller and Myers, like they're they're guys who can. Um, and know Myers isn't seeing a ton of power play time, but you can see that at some point that he's going to be called upon to to do that and uh, in different different capacity and 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 obviously big minutes five on five and penalty kill guy and and Miller plays in all situations, so he's a guy who's extremely valuable. And you're right, if those guys have the character elements and the character traits to back that up and and really drive culture in the room as well, and their voices are really heard because they're they're big minute players and they're important pieces. And they're they're good people to they're not guys who set themselves apart from the young guys and at least again this is outside perspective but there are some guys who'd be in the exact same situation in their career who'd come into a locker room with this and, and be bigger than the young mm-hmm. guys and no like but if they're a part of the team and they're part of the group and because this is really being driven by the youth you have to embrace that and and allow those guys to be their individual selves and because that's very much what that that generation needs it, it needs to be nurtured that way. And so these guys can come in and complement that and be a big part of it. And and it it really feels like they're a team. There is doesn't seem like there's these uh, these cliques in there and, and guys who are breaking off. And, and again, it's 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 very superficial. We're watching at it from watching it from the outside, but for just from some of the things I've heard, it's a group that's pretty tight. And again, it will cracks start to emerge as some losses mount over time if they go th- go through some tough stretches in the schedule, perhaps. But this foundation they've laid here the last couple of years, really, but especially early this season, should help keep that intact. And it seems like every player is taking ownership of their role. And by that, I mean, look at Brandon Sutter, for instance, the way he's playing on that third line role. We mentioned Jay Beagle, Tim Schaller, Jordy Ben on a third pair, for instance. It's, of course, every player wants more. They want more on their plate. But how much easier is it to buy in and take ownership of a specific role when you see the team have success and you can see the pathway to being a playoff team that can actually do something? Well, you know, a guy that uh, I I think of in this situation is a guy like Troy Stetcher. So think about Stetcher. When he first came in, his first year, he's playing power play. Then Travis Green comes in and gets taken off the power play. And we're still, you know, you look, you're like, we're still a losing team. I'm not getting the minutes I had before. Like, that's got to be tough to wrap your head around. I'm sure this season... Not just because of the experience he has, but also because now he sees his role on a team that's doing well. This season's probably a lot easier for Troy Stetcher to manage. Not saying it's it's not difficult because it's an important year for Troy Stetcher. And yeah, a lot of things about contract negotiations and arbitrations, about time on ice and all of those f- things. But at the same time, he probably is able to come to the rink with a more positive mindset because it's about the greater good and this common goal of winning and they're achieving that. So it's a, it's a lot easier. And I, you see it time and time again throughout my career. It's so much easier to buy into a lesser role when the team is successful and you feel like you're contributing to something important. If you get asked to have a role reduction and the team's 30th in the league, you're like, man, like not only am I not going to win, I'm also not getting another contract, you know? And so it, it makes it really difficult. And, and that's where that sort of selfishness creeps into the room. So it, it, it is nice to see that guys are buying into roles. And, and uh, you mentioned Sutter. Like, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if at some point this year, especially if Godet stays, if they're like, all right, like Sutter, we need you to play some games on the wing, mentor him, me- mentor Godet, et cetera. And I'm sure he'll do it. 
And I'm sure he'll do a great job at it because he's starting to see like how important that is and, and realizing his role. Not that he hasn't always been a leader, but you get that, okay, it's for the greater good. It's for us to try to win. And, and the guys are really sensing that even if it's not this year, they're building towards something really special. Before we get to Ask Alex Anything, a lot of great questions have come flooding in. The first edition of the Canucks pod with Alex Ald and myself, Satsi Arshaw. We'll get to Ask Alex Anything. But one final topic that I want to hit with you, and it is goaltending, not Jacob Markstrom, because you've done a great job explaining how Markstrom has developed his game over the past year. And with your hits on Canucks Central at noon and also joining us on the program with Andrew Walker, you've done a great job breaking down Jacob Markstrom. How far along has Thatcher Demko come? That's quietly... One of the more impressive things I think that that's occurred, like it, because it's out of the spotlight, it's out of it's out of the day to day of the team. Jacob Markstrom is very much in your face every night because he's playing most nights. Thatcher Demko, and and I, there is this misconception out there that goalies don't don't develop unless they're playing games, and like how difficult is it the transition and all those types of things. Well, he is getting extremely high level goaltending training every single day he goes to the rink. Do you know how much that would cost a parent? Now, like it, it, it's ridiculous to think of the investment it would take to get that. Now, I know it's a professional team developing a professional player. I get it. But he's, he's getting that, and he's, he's really thriving in that environment. I would say the harder thing will actually be the transition from him going from backup to starter. That is very difficult. Before you go on on Thatcher Demko, I had somebody tell me who knows goalies very well. Kevin Woodley, that there are people who pay up to a hundred grand per year to have a personal goalie coach. So to that point, as far as how much money people are willing to spend on goalie tutelage, that's the kind of bar we're looking at. Yeah, and they're probably not getting the level, <laughs> the level that uh, Thatcher and, and Jacob Markstrom are getting. But it's, you know, Demko is a guy like he had. Everything about him just screamed, yes, NHL starter, right from the moment he came on anyone's radar in his draft year and the Canucks picked him. And, you know, it was very much goalie of the future, but that takes time. Mm-hmm. And we've seen many goalies of the future in many organizations. That future gets derailed. Jacob Markstrom was a guy who that almost happened to, right? And it was him finding his way in Vancouver and, and really it, him taking as long as he did. It's, it's been fantastic what Markstrom has done, but it's, it's shortened his window as, as a, legitimate high-end starting goaltender because he's not really arriving there until he's like 29, 30 years old, mm-hmm. right? So some guys do it in their mid-20s or even younger. Demko is a guy who has just methodically worked at his game. Um, he really seems like he's found a way to sort of back off on his, some of his internal pressure, which is which is a tough thing because a, a lot of young goaltenders, that, a lot of goaltenders are perfectionists, and that is a really difficult mindset to live in. And especially when you're young and you're trying to do everything at once and your your skills haven't quite caught up to where you envision yourself being. Demko's done a nice job of managing all of that. And physically, he has just continued to improve. His skating has gotten so much better. He, he moves without opening up holes, which is difficult for big guys. And I've, I've talked about that at length with Markstrom, but I see a lot of the same things in Thatcher Demko. And I love the way he just, whether he plays, and he's got the opportunity to play a couple games in a row this year, and also have to sit for weeks. And either way, it's like I'm sure the coaching staff has no worry in their mind about putting Demko in the net, and that is exactly what you want. You want these situations, ideally, best-case scenario, you want to do what what uh, the Bruins did last year and essentially just platoon two guys and then pick the one you want for the playoffs. And, and 
because that way the guys go into the playoffs feeling really rested and feeling really energized and ready to go. And the ups and downs and the day-to-day stress of the team isn't just wearing on one person, which can be exhausting. And that, when you speak of goaltending, and I saw some uh, Twitter, in, Twitter interaction this week after um, the St. Louis loss and Markstrom getting breaking his stick. Yeah. And being, I, that's the only thing about Markstrom this year. I, I've seen a couple times this extreme frustration. And to me, it screams back to last year, right before he f- sort of found himself. That was occurring a lot. And one of the biggest differences I noticed post-game interviews with Markstrom was win or lose, December on, that sort of went away. And he was a lot more even-keeled. There was less um, over-the-top exuberance and less rage. And again, that's the outward perception of what we see. I don't know how he's internalizing that, but... Sometimes that anger, I don't mind. If, if you got to get it out, I fine. Um, as a parent of a young hockey player, I hate seeing it on TV because it. But I get it. Okay, I've I've done I've done things. I've broken things. Whatever. But you you look at it. And you're like, how is that being managed internally? And is that too much pressure you're putting on yourself? You want that right balance, that right edge. And I'm not saying what he did is wrong. I just worry if it's going if he's reverting back because I, I thought he did a fantastic job. The Markstrom that is last year of sort of, in a, in a way, hiding stuff from us. And I, I don't like that either because I think a lot of guys end up bottling things up. So if it's if it's an escape for him, that's fine too. But I, I just, I worry about it a little bit. I love players who hate to lose more yes. than I love winning because hate in a battle sport is so important because it brings out more energy out of you and it brings that toughness and aggressiveness out of you so I like that from a player but it's a matter of how do you channel it as long as you can channel it the right way and use it as motivation great but as soon as it starts taking away from your game then it becomes an issue but inherently I actually kind of like the fact that he gets that fired up over losing a hockey game because I don't look at it as as just being about him as an individual like I let a goal in like this hurts my stats I view it as he hates losing for the team yeah I, I, I can I can see that and and it's and again I don't I don't profess to have the answers. I just remembered a trend I watched mm-hmm. a lot last year. And and um, sitting in the chair that you now hold, doing all the post game shows on on the on Sportsnet six fifty, and listening to all the post game audio, and that was something I noticed time and time again. And and part of it is trying to take the pressure off the other off the other players on the team is and trying to take ownership. And and I I get it, but I just worry that. It, it's all about how you internalize it, like you said. And and the one thing, I, again, the counter to this is as a goaltender, what's more important, that over-the-top energy or remaining calm? And you have to walk that fine line constantly. And and that is something that, that um, you know, we're, we're, everybody's trying to master in all walks of life, really. And it's so so much out there on the stage, and especially for a goaltender, because there's so much soul focus on this one player, especially in a moment when your, your team gives up a three-on-oh. Mm-hmm. It's like... And and I could see it like you could see a lot of energy in Markstrom pre-shot there. He he wanted, and he, I bet you he was thinking ahead. If I stop this, I'm firing it up the ice for yeah. a three on O the other way. Right. And not only uh, is it rare to see a three on O, but two back to back, it could have could have happened there. Um, I just I just think about it, and and you you want to. I like the calm, but I think I mean consider the source. I mean I'm. It's coming from someone who's never won anything, right? Like I, <laughs> no. and I, I, I always went hey, over the top. You like want I, a team MVP, yeah. man? Come on! But it, it's you got to stop bringing that up because yeah. it's, <laughs> it's flawed. Not that you, the fans who voted, are flawed. Just this, I think the system is a little bit, a uh, little bit messed up there. But when I when I look at it, it's 
that the reason I view it that way is because I, that's the way I viewed it the way mm-hmm. I had to be. I right. had to be calm surface, you know, not, not let people see things. And eh, maybe that wasn't, maybe that wasn't the right way to be. But it's, it's more about the individual and how you are the best version of yourself. Each Absolutely. person is different. Yep. Each person is motivated and driven different ways. All these, I mean, that, I, I felt like we didn't really miss much of a beat on this, no. car, on this discussion. Not at all, man. You feel good? It's been all bottled up, just waiting to come out. I know. Now, now to see if I can convince you to do this more often. Oh, I don't know. No. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I got to go. Come on. All right. Let's wrap it up. Okay, before you go, let's take some questions for Ask Alex Anything. Ask Alex Anything. Uh, I forgot my question. You want to do some Ask Alex Anything questions? You ready for it? Absolutely. You good to go? Always ready. All right. Uh, we have time for a few because I know you, you have a very busy schedule now because you run your family business. You do a bunch of different things. You're a man wearing a lot of different hats all of a sudden. I'm wearing a Canucks hat right now. You are. Actually. I know you have a lot of different ones. Too. Throwback V. <laughs> it's nice. What did you think of the throwback jerseys, the new ones? They're kind of like stylized, stick in the ring. Do you I like, like them? Yeah, I do. You know what? It's... um. I really like looking at them on the ice, like on TV. I, mm. I love the... I love the blue. I love the green. I, there's something about the white in the collar, but it's growing on me. And I, 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 some people I've heard it say that they should have white mm-hmm. in the stripes. And I'm like, no, because then it would get too close. Like the old alternate, it, the only difference was the logo. If you remember back to the yeah, last ring yeah, and stick. Yeah. Now this, there's something different about it. I, I really like it. I think it's, it's fantastic. Looking forward to when they finally wear the blacks. Mm, that would be look cool. Nice. But you know what? I, I'm okay with them not going back to that full time. Like I, I am a big fan of the blue and green. I like the blue and green as well. You know, I, I'm a big fan of it too. The orca, I always go back and forth with, but you and I can spend a lot of time on this. Let's get to some more questions. Well, they got to keep the orca now because yeah, our, our whole yeah. I mean, the Canucks pod, yeah, and by exactly. the way, pod means you know orca pod, pod of orcas. So that's kind of how we're doing the play on words. Okay. <laughs> All right, Gabriella on Twitter asks, "What are your thoughts on goaltending this season?" Hashtag Ask Alex anything. Good. All right, extrapolate, please. Oh, no. I, I thought we were doing rapid fire. Sorry. <laughs> are, are we? No, I'm kidding. No, it, the goaltending's been mm-hmm. been great. I, I, I've, again, when, when we talked, we touched a lot on this, the goaltending, how much improvement there's been. But it's, I love the fact that you have, you can play either guy and you can base it on rest or whatever, whatever you need to mm-hmm. do. It's not like, man, like Markstrom's under the weather, but he gives us so, such a better opportunity at winning this game than our backup. We have to play him. That's not a way to have success. And and you can develop these guys. You can look at it based on rest. You can look at it also based on practice time, how they're developing. They're still developing. And that's really important. You gotta keep Markstrom fresh. You gotta keep him sharp. You gotta keep him working on his details. And you wanna continue to have Demko keep pushing and pushing. And and so they've been giving them a chance to win every night. They've been doing a fantastic job. And even even the game you'd point to and say, Well, I don't know, like when when the Canucks blew that lead against Washington, like Markstrom wasn't that bad. Like it, it wasn't like they were awful goals. They were seeing eye pucks. It, like so, you can say, "Hey," and plus, you'd come off an incredibly stressful whirlwind of a couple of weeks. So, if that's the only hiccup so far this season, I mean, that's it, it's pretty good. Following up on goalies, Just Puckett asked regarding Demko: How hard is the transition for a goalie from being introduced to the NHL as a backup, splitting games, compared to getting the reins as the number one tender? It it is an adjustment. For sure, and and when you're used to playing a lot, it it can be tough going from from playing every night. Um, not a lot of goalies get 
crazy intense workloads in the American Hockey League because of the way the schedule works. It's 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 not like you're going to play 80-90%. You shouldn't mm-hmm. because a lot of times you're playing 3-3 three and three on a weekend and that's too much. Um, but where I see it, the challenge is obviously that game time. But if you're looking at your games as the only time you're getting better, then it's it makes it difficult. But if you are realizing how much how important the practice time is and if you have a work philosophy that you know, you got to put the work in and practice and you're getting the good goaltending coaching, which we touched on earlier with Ian Clark. You're getting that development. Ian Clark knows how to keep guys who play every night ready. He knows how to keep guys who split ready. And he knows how to keep guys who play once every two weeks ready. And what you're seeing is, and I had no worries when Demko sat for a couple of weeks between starts at the start of the season, that he'd be fine and ready to go because I knew it's not like, oh, you're not playing for a couple of weeks. I'll forget about you. Like that's not Clarky's style. It's still, he's probably even harder on you and working you every day. So you're dialed in and, and the little details that go away. Some, like I would look at the opposite. Playing too much is tough because it's hard to keep your, your strong post play and, and some of those things like that where you got to really work some specific drills in to get the, the details there. That's when you kind of slip away. So I, I, he's doing a great job, and you got a goalie coach who understands the role of that player, and he's keeping him sharp. Harpsima asks, does Berchi get a shot at being in the lineup again? Hashtag ask Alex anything. I hope so. I, I hope it comes to that, and I, I hope it comes to Berchi getting an opportunity that isn't, something really devastating mm. to the group. Like I, I, yeah, I, know I what you mean. I've, I've often like ever since Berchi got sent down, I, I really believe that he would get another opportunity and perhaps factor in prominently, like do, do something offensively that was like, all right, like he's here to stay. I love the way he went to Utica, his attitude, everything I've heard was he went down there and was phenomenal on and off the ice, did a lot of really good things. A lot of guys, you can't fault them, would go down and pout about it and, and not not be in a good space. Berchi went down there with something to prove, not only to everyone else in the organization, but to other organizations and probably to himself. Yeah. The way he's, you know, the health issues he's had with the concussions and he wanted to prove that he could handle the rigors of, of professional hockey again. And he did that. I, I would love to see him get an opportunity. Final question, ask Alex anything, goes to the pizza guy. Is Taco a unsliced folded up pizza? Um, no, well, is it an Italian taco? I've, I've never tried Italian tacos before. I would say a taco is a... Taco? Is a, it's more like <laughs> along the line of a quesadilla. That's quesadilla? Been folded up and <laughs> like, I, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I I'm going to say no. Because it depends. If it's a soft taco, then I guess you could say it's a thin sliced taco, right? Like a thin sliced pizza, maybe... Uh, is it a Mexican pizza? Yeah, a Mexican pizza. Or an Italian taco. No, no, let's what go. What is more likely? I think a Mexican pizza is more likely than an Italian taco. I would say. Because, I mean, Mexican pizzas exist. I've never seen an Italian taco before. Where do you get a Mexican pizza? I don't... Well, I mean, uh, I, I believe that Panago had a pizza or something called a Mexican or something like that. Like, I've, oh, I've had okay. pizzas before with... I think Boston Pizza had one with, like, salsa on it and some avocados, too. Like, I've seen it before. I've never seen an Italian taco is the point I'm making. All right. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to say no. No, I, I don't think... They are very different. <laughs> yes. I'm, it's stumped. I'm stumped. Wow, you got stumped in the first episode of Ask Alex Anything. A, the, food questions are difficult sometimes. Oh, I know. Like, especially when you're, when you're mixing uh, nationalities like that. <laughs> I also had a burrito for lunch. You did? So I'm, I can't... Where'd you go for the burrito? I can't taste through the burrito and onion in my mouth mm. and, and sense pizza. How good was a burrito? Did you go burrito or did you go bowl? 
I went burrito. It was, okay. it was delivery. Oh, wow. Because mm. usually I've seen you defer to bowls, so you're, you're back oh, on Oh, having... I'll defer to anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the... Hey, we're glad we're back here. The Canucks pod, Alex Aldham, Satyar Shaw. Sending your question. You can even send in questions without us asking. Just hashtag ask Alex anything. Send it to at, at Alex J. Ald on Twitter. You can even include me if you want. But I wouldn't. S- yeah, I wouldn't yeah. either. It's it's at Alex's questions. But if you just want me to see them, you could. Regardless, if you think of a question, you're staying would, up late at night. I would send them, send them to Sat ahead of time so he can proofread them. Did because I, so did he I, doesn't stumble over them. Well, I don't know. I what, just what did I say wrong? I don't know. Marbles something a mouth. I don't know. Really? <laughs> I don't know what you said. <laughs> I said is a taco just an unsliced? No, you said up pizza? is is taco. Is taco? Does it say is a taco? No, it says is a taco. Yeah. Oh, by the way. Yeah. What's up? It's not an unicorn. It's a unicorn. Okay. You put that on Twitter the other day too. I respond so. to somebody say, un- "So it's not no. N, even though it starts with a U." It's, because but it, no, but it's because yes, it's, okay, the U it. is a consonant sound yes, yes. and not use. Same with uniform. Uniform, yeah. a ununiform, not yeah. ununiform. Un- it's not, not ununiform. Un- it's no, not I know. ununiform. No, I know. You a. said an uniform. No. An. It's an. a. Okay. Learn something new every day, bud. I, I'm, I'm already talked out, and okay. I still have another three hours to go on radio later on today. All day. I'll talk to you next week. I think. We'll see. <laughs> Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the first episode of the Canucks Pod. Satyar Shaw with Alex Ald. We're going to do this every single week. Get your feedback in and stay tuned. We'll have a lot more fun coming up. You're under arrest for making the charge of grand theft whale. <laughs>